Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning, Church of the Redeemer. So good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Lord, the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. For those of you I don't know, I'm Melissa Lukowitz. I have the honor of being on staff here at Church of the Redeemer as the youth ministry director. Hi, Rachel. Oh, and um, I... I also get the honor of being the camp director of the best camp in the world. Can't be y'all. <clears throat> yes. Cheers for sure. You may have met me, but something you may not know about me is that I am a self-proclaimed foodie. Now, when I say foodie, I don't mean that I spend hours upon hours in my own kitchen slaving away. Mm-mm. But what I do like to do is to make sure that I can find the best food around me wherever I go. It's kind of a hobby and passion of mine. So, you know, if I'm going to go eat a piece of cake, I don't want just any old piece of cake. I want the best cake I can get. If I'm going to have some tacos, I don't want it just, you know, run-of-the-mill tacos. I want the best tacos, most fresh, most, you know, authentic. If I'm going to have a burger, I want the best burger around. So the other day, my two summer interns, Kate and Eric Mays over here, so glad to see them. Um, you may have met them. We were discussing these important topics, you know, like lots of things like where to get the best burger in town. And um, it may come as a surprise, but in my opinion, this answer is Hop's Burger Bar. Amen. But again, the whole thing rides on this experience of getting the best burger. You know, so Eric Mays and I were discussing which burger was the best burger. And in my opinion, I would say the spicy goat. Can I have an amen? Amen. Well, thus, as proven in that picture. Well, Eric and Kate and I were discussing this, and he convinced me on this particular day that I needed to go with the North Carolinian. Now, the North Carolinian, if you, if you do not know, is another amazing burger from Hop's Burger Bar. Um, no, they're not giving me a kickback for this promotion. I should, should. Um, but the North Carolinian, you might know, has a fried green tomato, crisp bacon, pimento cheese, and topped with fried egg if you want it. It's amazing. So I decided, okay, the next time I go to Hops, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the North Carolinian. I'm going to step away from my choice of the spicy goat, which is always what brings me the most happiness when I go to Hops. Well, the day comes. The restaurant was super slammed. We're sitting around. We finally get our food. I make the decision. I choose the North Carolinian. I'm really, you know, excited. And then the burger comes, y'all, and it was not a good day. It was utter disappointment, not because I don't love that burger, but because the burger was cooked so wrong, and it was dry, and it was hard, and I was like, what in the world? Now, I don't blame, I don't blame Hops for this. I have since been back, and everything is okay, and we have made amends. But, you know, in that moment, on that day, my whole mood shifted. Anyone else understand this right now? My longing for that experience to be filled by that amazing burger hmm, left me wanting a lot more. And it was just kind of unsatisfying, honestly. And this is the thing. This is kind of a silly story to think about. 
But, and you're probably thinking, wow, this girl puts a lot of hope in her food. And you're right, I do. But how often do we do that? Do we put so much hope on things that really don't fill and we are left completely unsatisfied? So today, our passage that we're looking at is in John 6, and it was kind of unintentional. The last several weeks of our sermon team has been preaching on John 6 or the same area of scripture where Jesus has just fed the 25 plus thousand um, with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And the people are rightly amazed in this miracle. They have gotten this amazing gift of this miraculous food, and they decide they're going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. So the next morning, they wake up and Jesus is gone. And they're like, where's Jesus? Hold on. Where did that guy that gave us that amazing Hopsburger go? Wait, where is he? We need to go find him and track him down. Well, when the people finally get to Jesus on the other side, they go to Capernaum to search for him. They get there. And and if you're like me, you're thinking like when you read these passages, that's such a compliment. They want to be with Jesus. Look at that. They're like, let's go find Jesus. We have to be with him. We have to get to him. We want more of Jesus. But you might remember in Alan's sermon last week that the people weren't really looking for Jesus for Jesus. They were looking for what he could fill them with. And specifically, they were hoping that he would be their king. They were hoping that he would be the one to be this new leader for them. And Alan reminded us that Jesus was not looking for political leadership. That was not his aim. He immediately knew what they were longing for. They were looking for more of that delicious bread and they were looking for him to do what they wanted for him, for them. And so Jesus challenges them and he says, I tell you the truth. We're going to see it on a slide here. I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Did you catch Jesus' exhortation here? This line really stands out to me. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. How often do we work for food that spoils? How often is our focus on stuff that is here and now? How often do we seek temporary pleasure, things that do not truly fill? I don't know about you, but I many times work to be able to go on vacation and travel. We work and we save to trade in our old cars for new ones and better ones. We want enough money in our accounts so we can plan for our future, but also enjoy life now. We want the best education for our children. We work hard to have healthy bodies. We get excited about the most likes or views and followers, and we work hard for that sometimes. We want to get the highest scores so we can achieve our goals for school, like our SATs or our ACTs, so that we can get into the school that we've been dreaming of for years. We work hard all year so that we can build up paid time off so we can finally have a little time to rest and relax. Now, let me go ahead and clarify before you all come see me after that these things are not bad to want. We all want these things. We all know that getting vacation is life-giving and rest is needed for our bodies. Our education allows us to 
learn and grow in matters of subjects and studies that then allow us to help the world around us. Eating healthy food sustains our bodies so we can serve the world. These desires are very much part of who we are. We like to have good things, and we're so grateful for the enjoyment of this life. I'm the first person to amen to that. We have these physical bodies on purpose, and they are not somehow separate from who we are. But here's the thing. How often do we let our minds get sidetracked by what is now? What is here? What is immediate? What is satisfying? Maybe but not fulfilling. What is tasty, but not always what is good. Here's the difference of these two things. Are we putting our hope in these temporary things versus putting our hope in the one that can truly fill? When Jesus knew the hearts of the people surrounding him and the disciples, he challenged them on this very point, wondering if if they would follow him if he wasn't going to be swayed by their political agenda. Would they follow him if they didn't get what they wanted? Well, we kind of see the answer as scripture unfolds. Because when many of the people learned that Jesus wasn't just going to do what they wanted, wasn't going to be swayed by their, you know, hopes for him to be their next king, they left. Many of the people fell away. Here's the question that I have for you. Would we still follow Jesus? If we never got what we prayed for, if we never got what we wanted in life. When quarantine first began last year, I began making things pretty much on a daily basis in the Lukowitz household um, to try to boost our spirits. Um, We are very much out on the town and go, go, go and do, do, do. And so this staying at home and being set in place was very difficult. So I began making comfort food because why not? And yummy food and drinks by day and night. Let me tell you, it was pretty tasty. But after about six months, I realized my pants weren't fitting anymore and, um, and everything was getting tighter. And so, yes, I did enjoy my yummy treats immensely. But the real issue was not that I was baking to my heart's content. The real issue was that I was seeking satisfaction and things that did not truly fill. Yeah, they were good. They were fun. It was kind of a little pep, but it wasn't really filling. During these days, the things that were truly filling, now some of you may be newer to Redeemer, but during these days, we had several things that were happening that I was so thankful for. These were the things that really filled me on those long, hard days and months. We started having our daily youth devotional time on Instagram. That was super fun. Um, we looked at God's word together and it was like the highlight of my day to have people jump on and comment or say things that they learned about God's word. We, um, decided to do evening prayer together on zoom at night as a church body. Um, and we could gather outside socially distance with friends and hear kind of how life had been good or hard. We ended up meeting and getting to know our neighbors more than we ever had before in those times. Those were the things that actually filled me. Those times of being slow and processing God's word and praying together and being able to sit with people, those were the things that were filling. When have you felt filled by God? Or even when have you felt filled? Think about that. When is the time that you have really felt filled? 
this theme of being filled is a common theme in scripture. We saw it this morning in our Old Testament reading, and we struggle with the same thing that the Israelites struggled with. They had seen the miraculous deliverance of God. They had seen him provide in these amazing ways, leading them out of Egypt. But yet they started to grumble about the simplest of things. Trivial, really, but not so trivial because we also understand this need. On our next slide, we'll see the the reminder from this morning's reading. The Lord said, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. The Lord's heart here is so clear. He wasn't concerned with them having a fancy five-course meal. He rained down more than enough of heavenly food for them with one goal in mind. Did you catch that? That you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. His goal is that we know him and have him be our bread of life. We know that God cares for our physical selves. He created us in his image with these amazing bodies to do all that we get to do. He fed the people because he cared for their physical needs, just like Jesus did in our gospel reading. But, and he tells us in scripture time and time again to feed the hungry, to care for the poor. We even have an amazing farm ministry here in our own midst to care for the people in our community. We know that our bodies are a very present reality. He's not saying to just disregard our physical bodies. However, there are so many ways that we work for food that spoils and are left still feeling hungry. And this is not a surprise to Jesus. He gets it. He himself, you might remember, was faced with this exact same temptation. Let's look for just a minute in Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. It's really easy to think to ourselves, Jesus didn't live now. He doesn't know the temptations that I face. He doesn't really get having to deny yourself of all that's around us now in today's age, but he gets it. This same temptation that we have every day, he was faced with. He knew to choose what was truly life-giving was not choosing the bread alone. So when Jesus challenges the people in this passage that we read today in the gospel, he doesn't expect them to go down a path that he has not already conquered. He has faced this temptation and has had victory over it. He knows that he can lead us where he has had victory. We're not trusting in a God who is inexperienced with a struggle. He has paved a way for victory for us in these same temptations that he faced. So Jesus had this deep understanding that we are more than what meets the eye. We are more than flesh and bones. We simply do not live by bread alone. We have an eternal soul that needs to be fed on what is truly food for our eternal souls, not just what is here and now, not just what is seen. 
our physical bodies scream so loudly. And any of you, which are many of you with newborns, know this better than anyone. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We get fussy when we don't. We like to have our needs filled pretty immediately. And this is the thing that we don't have to just settle for it just being about the physical. But we have lots of popular sayings that we are convinced otherwise by in our culture. Sayings like YOLO. Anybody? YOLO. You only live once. Or live while we're young. Or seize the day. Live every day like it's your last. Life's a beach and then you die. And, you know, it's, it's fine. These things are, these, it's, it's like part of what we know. We know that this life is fun. It's just not all that there is. This deception that we have to take what we can get, that this is as good as it gets, that we have to indulge now or we might not ever get it. That's a lie. We have a soul. We have an eternity that is ahead of us. We do have choices and we are not like animals who are merely just run by instincts and desires. We have these choices that we can make. And we do live in this tension of being in this world, but not of this world. And if we can tap into that reality, like Jesus did, that this is not all there is, we are left with a security and a hope in something so much greater, something that is not fading or perishing, a hope that does not spoil. So you might be thinking, okay, so physical, bad, spiritual, good. Are we all spiritual? Are we all? No. It's not one or the other. There's this temptation then, this, temp- this tension to see it this way as one or the other. But we have been made to have to have both. There is this other way that the Lord gives us. He redeems the physical and the spiritual to make them coincide, just like he does with everything in our world. We are creatures that have been made to be filled. We have been made to be filled both spiritually and physically. We cannot have one without the other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. Man was created a body. The son of God appeared on earth in the body. He was raised in the body. In the sacrament, the believer receives the Lord Christ in the body. And the resurrection of the dead will bring about the perfected fellowship of God's spiritual, physical creatures. One of the reasons why I love liturgic worship and a lot of people, a lot of you hopefully enjoy liturgical worship is because it embodies the spiritual act of the physical reality. We physically change the colors to represent the seasons. We physically kneel in our confession to remind our bodies that we are subject to an eternal being that is supreme, that is our God. We are surrendered to our God when we kneel. We physically make a sign of the cross to remind us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with us. In a few moments, we'll say together, the Lord be with you. And you say back and with your spirit. And then the officiant will say, lift up your hearts. And we say, we lift them up together. We lift them up to the Lord. We are a physical people in a physical world, but there is more happening than just our bodies. 
So we have to ask this question then. If Jesus tells us to not work for the food that spoils, we ask the opposite question. So then what are we working for? What are we working for? What is the food that doesn't spoil? Randy and I have two amazing kids, River and Asher, and some of you know them. And when they were young, it was pretty much our weekly routine that we would go to the Children's Museum. Now, one of the best places to go with kids is the Children's Museum because it has amazing hands-on activities. And one of the things that they loved about it is that there are all these different rooms that have these options for career paths. They've got dental chairs that you can sit in and do dental hygienist work. They have a supermarket that you can stock shelves. They have, you know, all of these. They have a news anchor, if they still have it, maybe. That was always one of my favorites. Haven't been there in a while. Um, Where you can pretend to have these different jobs and begin to answer this age-old question that we start asking from the time we're young. What will my work be? What am I going to be when I grow up? Even from elementary school, we're asking that same question. And there are assumptions about what jobs are more important or more significant. There are jobs that we declare we could never do. And then work that we somehow maybe are deceived into thinking is too far out of our league. Or maybe it's just not right. But when we get a little older, we begin to think in terms of our education of, well, okay, now this is going to be the work. So then this path is the path I need to tread down. Or when you meet people for the first time, like a lot of you are probably doing this summer, um, you ask the first question most of the time. So what do you do? What's your work? What do you do during the day? And we begin to revolve our, our way of thinking and our way of life around this question of work. And it becomes to be what is more of the central question that we're asking. So then we start to believe this lie of, And sometimes, sometimes maybe it doesn't even feel like a lie. If we have the right schooling, then we get the right job. If we meet the right people, we get the right in and the right place where we need to be. And there's a lot of truth in a lot of that because there is a lot of networking that happens. There is a lot of schools that have connections. And here's the thing, just like with the physical being filled, this work is not bad. The work that we've been given is not bad. It's a part of who we've been created to be. But if we begin to align our life's goals only around our work, we miss out on what Jesus reminds to the people is the true work. We have this challenge to look beyond the physical, to see what demands our attention of this world that is passing away, but to look past that. So Jesus says to the people in John 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your loaf, ate the loaf, ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Just say that again. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. But still the people miss it, just like we miss it. And they ask for a sign and they say, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. When Jesus gave the people the bread, though, it was not simply to be a good host or to just fill their tummies for a few minutes. It was to give them the same realization that there is more than meets the eye, to point them to God, who is the giver of all gifts and always the most generous giver. The work they had fixated on was the wrong thing to focus on. Yes, he wanted to provide for them, but more importantly, just like in the Old Testament, he wanted them to know the one whom had been sent. The same goal that the father had with the Israelites, that they might be filled with the bread of life and know him. He wanted them to know life, but life abundantly, to be filled physically and spiritually, to be sustained by food, yes, but also to be sustained for eternity by God's presence. Jesus responds with a little bit more clarity. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of, heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. But the real significance, it says in the message, the real significance of the scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my father is right now offering you the bread from heaven, the real bread. The bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. It's from the message. So Jesus is trying to get this point across that the work is to believe in the one sent by God. As we close, I can't help but think about the significance of the phrasing at the end of Jesus' time on earth, just before he went to the cross. That on the night before the crucifixion, his last meal with his closest friend, the word says that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Every week, we choose to come to this table, this table where we have the opportunity to feast on the bread of life. Growing up, I never had communion every week. For years, we were a part of a church that only had communion once a month or sometimes at once a quarter. But now this table has become such a gift to me. We get to come to this altar and we have the chance to be filled by the true bread of life. We give ourselves over to this work that God has given us to do, to believe in the one who was sent by God. When we come to this table, it's not just to come and do what everyone else is doing. We don't just choose to have an extra 15 minutes of church just for kicks. We return and we are filled by the Son of God. We choose to sacrifice our doubts, our fears, our lack of doing it right, our lack of being perfect, our struggles with our jobs and our families, and we come to be forgiven and to be made whole. We ask for the help to believe. We come and we are filled by the one who is, who was, and who ever shall be. And at the very end of our service every week, we finish our time here together by saying, let us go forth in love to do the work he has given us to do to love and to serve one another in Christ Jesus. I don't know if it feels like work to you all ever. 
There are many days that believing feels like work. It is denying self. It is putting God's ways above our ways. That's really hard sometimes. It's work to die to self so that we might know his resurrection power in us. But this work is not just us working. This is his work that he has given us to do. His work that he has prepared for us to do. It's an opportunity for his work to be revealed in us. When you have a child screaming at you and you respond calmly because you know you want to be slow to anger, that's work. Believing is work. When you still smile at the cashier when they're really rude to you, even though you've been nothing but nice to them because you know the fruit of the spirit is love, believing is the work. When you choose to not laugh at the crude jokes or the racial slurs and everyone notices that you are the only one not laughing and you say, you don't think that's something to laugh about. That feels like work sometimes. Believing is the work. When you feel completely disappointed in the sin of mankind, that seems to run rampant. That reaches even into our churches, into our work, into our homes. It's work to continue believing. Believing is the work. When you choose to trust, even when you haven't heard from the Lord in days, weeks, or months, because you know that believing is more than what we see, what we hear, what we feel. When all of your friends have left you and you still believe that Jesus is your friend, that's work. When you lay down your own cynicism and all your skeptical thoughts and you choose to come and surrender to this unseen God, that's work. Believing is the work. But here's the good news, not just that, the great news. This is why we come to the table. This is why we come to church, why we gather together in these places and in these spaces. Because we don't have to do this work alone. We get to come together to do this work of believing. He has brought us into this family where we are not alone, where we believe together. And even better than that, It is him himself who comes in and through us. He gives us this power to have hope when we have none. He breaks through even the hardest hearts and overwhelms us with his love. He does this so that we might know him, that he is the only one that can truly fill us. He is the only one we can truly trust. He is the only one who will truly set us free from the bondage of sin and death. He is the only one to deliver us to this greater hope. He is, he is, he is. We are called to be a people who believe and are filled. This is not an easy thing. It is work, but it is the work of God, his work in us. 
And every week we can agree with this liturgy and say, yes, Lord, do this work for me. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter where I work, no matter what sign I see, no matter what, help me believe. Help me to be about the work of believing in the one who was sent for me and be filled in every way by the true bread of life. Amen.